Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 4th, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator this morning. The share ID for Friday, October 2nd, is 8043. That's 8043. This morning, A Vision for You presents Living in God's Design. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, an inward rearrangement that actually makes us into different people. We have a profound alteration in our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. Our new spiritual condition as a result of our spiritual awakening, has driven out the obsession of the mind and restored us to sanity. Steps 10, 11, and 12 keep us in fit spiritual condition and growing along spiritual lines. It is by continuing to take a, taking a daily inventory, continuing with a daily prayer and meditation practice, and continuing to help other compulsive overeaters that we continue to grow along spiritual lines and keep ourselves fit to be of service to God and to those about us. By practicing steps 10, 11, and 12, we are exercising our newfound spiritual muscles. With us today to speak about living in God's design is Becca W., a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Becca is devoted to living in God's design the 12-step way of life, and carrying this message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Becca W. Thank you, Leah. Thanks so much for your service and for having me on today. Do I sound okay? You sound great. Thanks. Okay, great. Hello, everyone. My name is Becca W., and I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. And I want to thank you all for joining me this morning. This presentation is entitled Living in God's Design, and when I began thinking about how I wanted to present the content, I ran it by a sponsee, and with her inspiration, the concept came alive, and I just want to take a minute right now to acknowledge how important sponsoring is to me. Not only do I get to strengthen my program, but the best part is I get to see people that I love transform right before my eyes, and today we'll be talking about transformation. And it's just so inspiring, and what a blessing my sponsees are in my life. So anyway, uh, God's design, let's dive in here. So for me, God's design is something bigger and better than I could ever create. It's a safe place of love and exploration. It's a place where I can relax, know I'm protected, and I can be very close to my higher power. But I never knew I could live like this when I was in the food. In fact, I thank God that I'm a compulsive overeater today because I never would have found OA, I never would have found the steps, and most importantly, I would have never found God. So how did I go from a self-centered life to a God-centered life? Well, when I was in the food, I was completely miserable. I had over 100 extra pounds that I was carrying around. I didn't want to be undressed in front of anyone. I didn't even want to look at my own body in front of the mirror. And my nights and weekends consisted of laying on a couch. I had food in one hand and a remote control in the other. And I just simply isolated. 
You know, I had no friends in my local area, and I never participated in any social events that were going on. In fact, I was ashamed to go places with my boyfriend I had at the time because I would embarrass him. You know, my weight, my weight was out of control. And so I declined invitations to go out with him, and I stayed at home instead. And depending on how I wanted to mask my emotions, I was either in a food high or a food coma all day long, and that gave me no motivation. You know, doing anything was a chore, even the simplest things. In my house, my bathroom is on the second floor. I would wait hours to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to do the stairs. I didn't want to get winded. It was an effort. So it was easier just to wait two, three, four hours. And, you know, I was living through the food. And it definitely was progressive. We talk about how this disease was progressive. Well, I just had to look at my mother. She was 400 pounds for most of my life. And right before I got into OA, I was 255 pounds going on 300. You know, and I tried it all, including the cayenne pepper, lemon juice, and maple syrup diet. You know, I gained weight to audition for a popular TV show because I thought I would be the perfect contestant. I researched getting a tapeworm because I totally thought that that's how it was going to happen for me. And, you know, everything was going to be great. It was going to be perfect when I got to my goal weight and everything would be fixed. But if I look at my past, when I was close to my goal weight before, I was like 27 years old and I'm 35 now. Ironically, I was more insane and more out of control than I ever have been in my life. So if food was the problem, what was my solution? Well, back then, my solution was food. But those don't reconcile. In fact, they're neither the problem nor they the solution. What I came to find in OA is that this problem that I have is my mind's mental twist. And the solution is the steps that bring me closer to God. Now, someone very smart in this program told me that 10% of the population are addicts of some kind. And addicts just simply don't know how to process, process emotions in a healthy way. So we go to our addictive substance to solve our problem. But we all know that that solves no problem. In fact, it creates more problems. And we're human. We all experience emotions. And an addict like me, I need to learn how to process them in a healthy way. I needed to learn how to have God untwist my mind, reorganize how I think, and help me operate in a completely new way. And with God's help, I don't have to punch down my emotions with the food today. And the sad thing was that I became so used to that punching that it felt better than the real emotions that were coming up. But what if I could learn a way to really feel those emotions and process them, to give them to God because they're more than I can handle? Can it be that simple? Can I learn to trust something greater than me that I get to design myself, something that can solve all of my problems? Well, the great news is yes. So how do we make this happen, you know? How do I, I, I need to be willing. I have to be willing, number one, but I have to be willing to embrace change. So let's look at change. We can break it down into a few phases. One way we can look at it is phase one. We have this initial shock or surprise, you know, and phase two, we have some kind of emotional response to that shock. We might get frustrated or tense. We could get fearful or anxious or worried. 
And then in phase three, we experience confusion. Phase four, there's a phase of integration. And phase five, we make an adjustment. Now, that adjustment can either be made by force or it can be made by choice. And I will give you an example. My firm just pushed out a new email system, operating system. And the one that we had before was completely archaic, but I was used to it. And they're pushing out this new one, and this new one has all these wonderful features and everything, and it's going to be easier to do this and, you know, more, you know, more collaborative in this way. Well, I didn't want to do it. I didn't. And they were sending emails after emails. It's coming, and, you know, in one month it's here. Here's the date. Oh, we're three weeks away. Here's some tips and tricks. You know, check these out before it comes. I resisted the whole entire way. And the day came where they said, this is your new primary email and um, and the funny thing was is that when I was forced to do it, I started using it, and I started applying it to some of the work that I was doing with my coworkers, and it's like, wait a minute, this is easier. Actually, this is really cool. Wow, I can actually see the person I'm talking to. This makes, you know, the virtual world so much better. But, you know, we can follow this progression of the shock and surprise, the emotional response, the confusion, the integration, and then that, that adjustment that I was forced into. And, and when we follow it that way, we meet resistance almost immediately. So accompanied by that resistance is a slew of emotions and feelings. And that's extremely risky. For me, change in the past kept me in the food or it got me back into the food if I was trying some kind of diet. You know, change happened to me almost always by force. But what if we can meet change with acceptance? What if we could go from a shock or surprise, which, by the way, are natural emotions, but what if we go from shock or surprise to bringing in a higher power to help us immediately? What if we were to let go and be open, have change be a choice, something we can participate in rather than something that happens to us? In the big book, in the chapter, there is a solution on page 27, Bill talks about change. He also references Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. That's on page 567. And what's he talking about here? Well, simply said, he's talking about how working the steps leads to a spiritual awakening that brings us close to God. What he's really talking about is simply change. In fact, the big book uses the term change asked over and over and over again. They just say it in different ways. We have huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes are suddenly cast to one side. Completely new set of conceptions and motives. Emotional rearrangement, personality changes, revolutionary changes, vast change in feeling and outlook, transformations, profound alteration. With change, we're able to experience the promises. And my favorite promise, along with it works, it really does, is one that's typically not mentioned as a promise. It's on the bottom of page 85, and it's the paragraph that reads, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all power and knowledge. If we have carefully followed directions, We have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. 
but we must go further, and that means more action. Now, the title of this special edition is Living in God's Design. This paragraph, in my opinion, is where living in God's design is described. Receive strength, inspiration, and direction. Begin to sense the flow of his spirit into us. Become God conscious. Begin to develop this vital sixth sense. So how do we use the steps to get there? If we must change using the steps, we must abandon resistance and embrace acceptance. But what if we're not ready to let go of resistance? Let's look at two cases that I've hypothetically come up with. There's going to be one person who is resisting the steps and one person who is accepting the process. Now, let me warn you, I'm going to give a little dose of tough love here, okay? So we have step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. So someone resisting this process who maybe isn't willing to do the steps yet, maybe they see them on the wall, they hear other people talking about it, but for some reason they're just not willing to do the work yet. They might say, I can fight this. I'll try a new diet and put the gym schedule in my phone. I have it all taken care of, well, except for the food. I'm not taking that out of my food plan. I've tried this diet. I, I haven't tried this diet yet, and I know this one will work for me. And then we have the person who's accepting this process, who maybe is completely deflated at this point, realizes that they need to get a sponsor. They need to just simply follow direction. They're willing. They're accepting. And they might say, I'm truly out of ideas. The food was the problem, yet I was using the food as the solution. Those don't reconcile. The problem is my mental twist, and the solution is God. Life is hard and getting less enjoyable. I cannot control this anymore. I'm truly powerless. And they take step one. And then we come to step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the person resisting could look at step two and say, I don't believe in God, and I'm not insane. He never helped me with the food before. I don't even know what I need from God. And they're talking a lot about this God, and it makes me really uncomfortable. Is this a cult? And we look at step two, someone who's embracing the process, who's taken step one. They're now on the foundation of this entire program. Step two is the foundation. In my opinion, if we do not have a solid step two, we may fall apart. In fact, we probably will fall apart in any one of the other steps. So this person is in step two, and they're studying. You know, there's a solution more about alcoholism. We agnostics, they're getting an understanding of their personal higher power. They're designing the God that they need for themselves. And they might look at this and say, I know I'm less than whole. I'm willing to believe because what I'm doing isn't working, and I don't have any more strength to do this myself. I will create and explore my personal higher power. I will identify what I need help with and who I want to be. I might create a list of what I need from God, what I want, who I want to be, and what I want to accomplish. Then maybe I'll create personalized prayers that I can say to begin my relationship with my personal God. And now we're at step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And someone who's resisting, someone who's not ready to make that decision, 
you know, they may say, I'm not ready to decide on anything. How am I going to turn my life over? I have so much going on. It could all come crashing down. So I'm supposed to turn my life over to something that doesn't even exist? I can care just fine for myself. I don't understand anything about God. And there's no way anyone or thing can do this better than me. And now we look at the person who's taken step one and step two. They're now on step three. And for me, step three is like hopscotch. We're on and off. It's simply a decision. We're either going to do the work or we're not going to do the work. And this person may say, at the very least, I can turn my self-will and my unmanageable parts of my life over. I've gained an understanding of who my personal higher power is in step two, and I can keep growing this understanding. I understand I need to have God with me to do the rest of these steps. My foundation is strong after studying the chapters in the big book that helped me with step two. I am ready to take baby steps and trust that my higher power can help me. I look forward to building a friendship with my higher power who I know loves and cares for me. And now we're at step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And so as we know, step four is the dreaded step. We hear it. It has a bad reputation. But you know what? It can be extremely simple. If we follow the uh, directions in the big book, it can be extremely simple and not painstaking. And so someone looking at this and following that reputation and really resisting might say, I want to look at my faults. What if I begin to look at my past and my memories and I lose it and get back into the food? This is going to take forever and I'm not going to finish it. So many people fall apart on this step. I don't want to think about all the people I no longer talk to and who have hurt me. Is there any way to recover and not do this step? And then we have our person who's now taken steps one, two, and three. They're on step four. They understand that in order to do step four, they must have God do this step for them. When we sit down and we do our inventory to invite God in and ask God to write that inventory for us, there are a lot of emotions. There are a lot of memories. But if we have him doing this for us, alongside with us, and we're simply just, you know, putting pen to paper, it's going to flow out. And before we know it, it'll be done. And that person might look at this and they might say, this can be a simple process. I'm ready to look at all parts of myself. I know that if I get fearful or emotional, I can call my fellows for support and ask my sponsor for help. I want to get this all up and out because I don't want it blocking me from God anymore. I know I can do this because I will invite God in during each session and he will write this for me. This is where I begin to see the pattern of my character defects and I'm ready to begin acknowledging them. And now we're at step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And someone might look at this who's in resistance and say, I'm just not ready for this. I barely tell my friends anything. How am I going to tell someone else? And I don't even have a connection with God, so what would I even say to him? And they might say something, there's no way I'm telling someone the things I've done in my past. I haven't done anything wrong. It's everyone else who's against me. Who will I tell? I don't even trust my sponsor. What if the person I tell shares my deepest, darkest secrets with someone else? And now we have the person who has just given themselves to this process. 
They're just following everything their sponsor tells them to do. They're now on step five. They're ready. They may say, I'm looking forward to getting it all up and out. I've heard this is the turning point in the steps, and I look forward to shedding the negative emotions of my past so I can become lighter. I trust my sponsor with the information I will tell her. I am willing to be open and honest with the things I have done. And now we're at step six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And with resistance, we might hear someone say, if I even think about getting rid of my defects, what could possibly be left? I'll have no personality. What does remove mean anyway? How can that even happen? I'm not ready to be someone who I'm not. My defects define me. And someone who's in this process, they're now on step six. They've done so much hard work. All that blockage that they had, they've let it go in step five, and now they're feeling lighter. They're, they're feeling clear. They're feeling that connection with God that they've never felt before because God is starting to fill them up. From toe to head, they're filling up with God's light. And they might say, I understand that remove means to distance, not to discard. And being willing to have God distance me from my character defects and then highlight my assets is a blessing and something I look forward to. I have carefully looked at all of myself, good and bad, and I'm clear on who I am. I accept myself. I know that if my defects are quieted, my assets will be most prominent. God can then work through my assets to help others. And now we come to step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. And step seven, in my opinion, it's something that we don't work. We hear the term work the steps. Step seven is done by God. We simply have to just ask him in prayer to take our character defects. So maybe someone who's resisting, they're simply not ready. But someone who's ready and has been doing these steps, now they're on step seven, they might say, I ask through prayer that you quiet my defects, God, and highlight my assets. And God grants this for us. And now we're on step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Well, we might have someone looking at this in resistance saying, I've never hurt anyone that didn't deserve it. I can think of at least 50 people that should make amends to me. Even if I did make a list, the only people that would be on it would be my mother and father for screwing up my life, and they're both dead, so it's pointless anyway. And then we have someone who's now on step eight. In my opinion, after step seven, the way that I sponsor, my sponsee is recovered. They've been rearranged. They've written down their inventory in four. They've given it all away in five. They've identified their character defects, and they've asked God to take them. They've been rearranged. Now God is highlighting their assets. They need to be in this position in order to do steps eight and nine. We have to be rearranged to make new relationships, to repair old ones, to clean our side of the street. So going into step eight, making that list, someone is prepared and ready. And they might say, it feels so good to have taken account of everyone I have harmed. Some of these I'm scared to make, but I will have God to guide me. And I will make a plan with my sponsor before doing the amends. Thank you, God, for putting my sponsor in my life. I trust you are working through her and that her guidance around how to make these amends is coming from you. 
And now we're at step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And with resistance, we might say, there's no way I would ever apologize to her. I'm not risking going to jail if I admit what I did 10 years ago. I'd never be willing to expose myself like that. And now we have step nine, this beautiful process. Yes, sometimes it feels it can be scary, but our sponsor helps us really break down and prepare for how we are going to make these amends. And we know that it's not about the other person. It's about us clearing our blockages from God and making things right with the people in our lives. And so someone is ready and they might say, God is so amazing. I cannot believe I was reconnected with my best friend from childhood. And she was missing me just as much as I was missing her. And that actually happened to me, by the way. That was one of the amends that I made. And the person might say, even though that amends is difficult, I removed the blockage I had between myself and God. And now we're at step 10, continuing to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So some, someone with resistance might say, if I'm not willing to do this in step four, why would you think I would be willing to do this in step 10? I'm rarely wrong, so this step doesn't even apply to me. How can you live in this step? Who wants to keep admitting they're wrong all day? Even if I did a step four, I'd never have to do a step 10 because I did it all in step four. And the person who has embraced this process, who's now recovered, they're living in step 10, 11, and 12. Maybe they've been rocketed to the fourth dimension already. They are looking at step 10 and they know that it is one of the most underutilized steps. It's such a critical step. We do all that work in four, five, six, seven, and we want to simply maintain that, that the clearing of that blockage that we've done. And so they might look at it and say, if I do not do this step daily, my resentments, fears, and other emotions will build up and I could get back into the food. They might say, this step helps me clear daily blockages from God. And I love being as close to God as I can. It's so much easier for me to admit when I'm wrong because there's no shame around it anymore. I like that when I practice this step, I can feel myself get closer to God. And now we're at step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So the person with resistance still looking at the steps, maybe doesn't even have a sponsor yet, They maybe see the steps on the wall. They kind of hear people talking about it in the rooms, but nothing's really resonating with them. They don't have the will yet. They might look at this step and say, well, I meditated at that yoga class I tried last week, and I didn't feel anything earth-shattering. How do I even know what God's will is? I don't know how to pray, and I feel really uncomfortable trying it. I still don't understand God, so there's no sense in trying to contact him. And now we have the person who has embraced this acceptance. They've embraced the change. They've transformed. They're now on step 11. They're going to be talking to God and listening to God, giving and receiving, this open channel back and forth. They might say, the baby steps I did in two and three to begin my relationship with God have been the foundation of a beautiful bond with him. 
And God powers me through each day and directs me when I stay clear and allow him to flow through me. I talk to God through prayer and listen to God when I meditate. The promise of God consciousness is present in my life today. His voice is stronger than mine, and I can sense the difference between his will and my will. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So now we have a person who's resisted the process. We have someone who has not taken advantage of this time. However long it took to go from step one to step 12, for me, when someone asks me how long does it take your sponsees to go through the steps, it's however long it takes. If they're willing to do the work, they might have 10 resentments or they might have 200 resentments, but we're going to process every single one. And so however long it takes, We now have one person who has resisted. They haven't even begun the process. And we have one person who's embraced the entire thing. And so that person who's resisting might say, why should I help someone else? No one ever helps me. I've been in this program a long time, and I've never had a spiritual awakening. And we have this person who's embraced it. They've done the 12 steps. They're ready to live in steps 10, 11, and 12. And they understand that maintaining Their recovery is so important and what they need to do to maintain that recovery. And they might say, I will practice carrying my spiritual awakening. I will be a living example of how these steps changed me. I cannot believe how amazing my life is. Sponsoring and freely giving away this program is the most rewarding experience I've come to know. God, please show me where I can be helpful today. So what did this illustrate? One person was afraid to change. That person stayed in negativity, doubt, fear, and was, an, as, and was really comfortable living in misery. The question is, how long will that last? Weeks? Months? Years? Resistance to change is a huge component of this disease. Our disease loves it when we feed it. It will be fighting until we surrender. But when we experience complete deflation and capitalize on that small window between swearing off and triggering the allergy, we can put the food down and we can begin these steps. So person two was ready. Person two embraced what the steps had to offer. They designed their own personal higher power. They learned to trust. They gave their will and life over. They did that hard work to look at their past and they let it all go. Their mind's mental twist was reorganized and they are processing emotions in a healthy way with God's help. As a result, they're living a new life. Steps 10, 11, and 12 sustain the hard work that we do. 10, one of the most utilized under steps, um, as I mentioned before, clears us so that we can receive God to allow him to fill us with his light and inspiration. It enables us to think and pray clearly, improving that conscious contact, letting us experience God consciousness, and therefore allowing us to live in God's design. And when we live in God's design, 
we have an opportunity to do his will. We can carry the spiritual awakening, step 12. I mentioned sponsoring at the beginning of this presentation. It was something that I really feared when I was living in a self-centered life. Now it's one of the biggest highlights of my life. And that's the thing. Our lives become God-centered, not self-centered. It's only in practicing these steps every day that we can experience living this way. So the person I was, that one that I described before, that miserable, dying person, well, I've now come to life. I've been rearranged. And I live my life in a completely new way. The changes I've gone through in the last year and a half They would have put me back in the food in two seconds had I not had God's love guiding me the entire way. I got two promotions last year. And that only happened because I let go and I stopped controlling my work life. I trusted that my boss would create a position that suited my skills perfectly. And and, and, and it still allowed me to grow with a career path that honestly seems endless. You know, I went from comparing myself to people in the workplace and I just, you know, I I was fighting so hard to be on top and be recognized, you know, with, with my peers and with my management. And when I just realized that I just had to put my head down and work hard and just trust that I would advance, that happened for me. So today I get to work from home every day. If I want to go in the office, I can. If my boss is going into the office, I do, so that we can share and collaborate and work on projects we're working on. But I'm saving two hours of travel time, and I'm saving money parking in the garage, and I'm saving mileage on my car. It's just, it's amazing. Like, I, I couldn't have planned any of that. God did all of that for me. And I moved on from my boyfriend of five years. You know, the last three years, I kept talking about it and thinking about it, and it got to the point where I just was exhausted even hearing myself talk, and I knew I needed to do something about it. But I talked to my sponsor, and I talked to my therapist and other people who love me, my friends, and I leaned on God to end things. And it took a little while, but there was a reason why it took a little while. I had to wind it down. I had to get it to the point where you know, I can have a more than amicable relationship with my ex-boyfriend today. You know, we talk about finances. We own a home together right now. And it's, it's an easy process right now. And God helped me do all of that. And now I'm free and I'm independent and I'm learning about myself as a recovered person. I'm taking that time. I don't want to date anyone right now. I don't want anyone in my life. You know, I need to just be by myself and and understand who I am. I am a different person, and I need time to let that catch up in my mind, body, and spirit. And it was totally the right choice for me, and I'm really grateful for this time alone. And being alone is different from lonely. I know I will never really be lonely again because I have God with me all the time. And the only caveat to that is if I don't work my program. If I push God out, you know, I probably will feel lonely. So this breakup led me to buying a new condo, which I just had renovated and I'll be moving into on Tuesday. And it's such a blessing. And this property was a short sale. And if you know anything about short sales, you know that the the bank, the uh, the seller's bank is totally in control. I had no control over it other than signing something when paperwork came to me. You know, I had to solely rely on God to make everything happen. 
And I learned a lot about patience and trust. But I confirmed that this condo was part of God's design. You know, if I think about the progression, it really goes back to when I first started LA. And that was, what are we in, 2015? So that was August of 2013. When I came into OA, you know, I looked on the internet and I saw where meetings were in my area. And there's a certain recovery center in my town. And uh, they had like four or five meetings there. And so I began going. And shortly after, I don't know if you follow the news, but there was a story about um, a shooting at the Columbia Mall. And two people were killed. And one of the people that were killed was a a boy named Tyler. He's a young man. And come to find out, he was a member of this recovery center. And so um, I didn't know anything about him. I had never met him. But I was something compelled me to learn more about him. And I went to his memorial service. And through his sponsees and his sponsor and his family, I learned that he was such an amazing person. And I took one of the pamphlets that had his picture and I pinned it up in my kitchen on like a, on a cork board. And I would look at him and I would talk to him and I would say, tell me what you need me to do. Bring me service. Help me through this program. And it was interesting because one day I was in a meeting at the recovery center and there were two board members um, in that meeting. And they made an announcement and they say, we have an open board position if anyone is interested. And so after the meeting, I said, I'm interested. And I filled Tyler's position. And I was on the board and I started, you know, meeting all these other board members. And, you know, I started meeting people that worked for this recovery center. And I met this man who's a contractor. And I heard that he cleans houses. So I started having him clean my house. And he did such a beautiful job. And then I heard that he redid someone's entire bathroom and that he's, you know, renovating this condo that someone bought. And I trusted God. No one else was in my life to do this work. And I, I, the, the condo ended up going through. I bought it. And I talked to him and I said, are you willing to do the renovations? And he did the renovations for me. And it was such an easy and simple process. And everyone that he hired to help him, they were so nice. And I, I walk around and I stand in that, in that condo today. And it's like filled with love. I'm going to truly be living in a home of love. It's just beautiful. And I'm so excited to move in. You know, and I just had to trust God through that whole process. I had no idea what it was going to come out like, but I I trusted. And as far as the changes in my program, I'm happy, joyous, and free today. I've let go of more than 110 pounds. And that was all God. I'm a young, athletic woman now. I surprise myself with things I can do. I never thought I could do these things. Like, I get on a treadmill, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's see how far I can run without dying. I ran a 5K on the treadmill. Who is this girl? You know, I'm in yoga class, and, and they say, okay, we're going to do a wheel, which is like this back bend. And I'm like, oh, I don't think my arms can support me. I, I don't know if I can. Before I know it, I'm doing this back bend. And then I'm working out with my trainer, and he's like, look in the mirror, Rebecca. I want you to concentrate on your form. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm like, what is going on here? Are these my muscles? Like, I have, like, definition in my arms. And I don't know how all of this is happening. It just seems like it's happening overnight. But what I do know is that I'm putting the work in. And somehow God is just giving me these results that I couldn't even dream of. And he's allowing me to do a tremendous amount of service, both one-on-one with my sponsees and my fellows and on the business side of OA. You know, I'm leading workshops. I'm doing presentations such as this one today. 
You know, God is using me in ways that's suited for me. And it feels so good when I'm aligned and doing his will. I'm so connected then. I almost feel, I, I, and I feel most aligned when I'm doing step five. And I love doing step five with my sponsees. If I'm clear by doing my 10th and 11th steps every day, I create this clear channel for God to flow through. So when I'm sitting with my sponsees doing step five, God directs me and talks to me. It's like if you were to picture just a plain page that has typing on it, you know, those are my thoughts. But his words are like in bold and different font and they can come diagonally from the bottom right. And, you know, there's no rules. It's just like his voice like is so strong and I hear him talk and I hear him push me when I need to insert a thought. You know, like if my sponsor is talking about a particular thing and it's like I, he, he might say something over and over again, like a word or a phrase, and I'll, I might have to say, I'm sorry to stop you, but I need to convey something to you. And sometimes it puts them in tears and they're able to just let it all go. And sometimes they're like, wow, a light bulb goes off. And that's not me. That's God using me as a channel to help the person I'm with, help the person I love. When a sponsee is done with a resentment or fear, I see a difference. Their body relaxes. Their speech is different. Their eyes soften. And I can see the energy that was built up in their mind, body, and soul literally lift from them. It's the most amazing experience. I've I've never experienced anything like it. But I have to be very, very careful. I must be humble and know that this kind of connectivity is a privilege. Because when I think I know God's plan for me, it gets me in trouble and my ego starts controlling again. And I have no idea what's in store for me next, but I start to get cocky and I think that I do. I learned a very valuable lesson recently. I shouldn't know what's in store for me. I shouldn't know what's coming next. I have no business knowing what God has planned for me. And in the paragraph I read at the bottom of page 85, it says, to some extent we have become God conscious. To some extent is the key in that sentence. I am not God. I must remind myself of that every single day. And I'll give you an example. A few months ago, I met a guy in another fellowship through a series of godly events. We align perfectly in so many ways. We both, you know, listen to the same music. We both put recovery and studying the big book as a priority. You know, we both didn't want children. We both have this matching intensity of energy. And, you know, the similarity list went on and on. But from the start, I put him on a pedestal. You have to understand, when you lose 100 pounds and you're a young, attractive woman, you know, and this hot guy was into me, all those feelings were so new. And long story short, I lost myself and I lost my connection with God. Oftentimes I'll say to my sponsees, you know, the connection that you're striving for should be somewhere between a one and a ten. You know, when you're when you're doing service, maybe it's like closer to the ten, and maybe when you're at work and you're focusing on something else, you know, God is definitely there, but he's more in the background. Okay, somewhere between one and ten. You do not want to lose that connection. And so when this was all happening to me, you know, I'm usually on a scale of 8 to 10, right? And I went to like a 1 or a 2, and it felt awful. I was barely hanging on. God was still there, but our relationship changed, and that was because of me. And I still don't know how I didn't get into the food. 
But as they say, the food is the last thing to go. But I was miserable and I was in so much denial when I was like, you know, entertaining this relationship with this person. But the real tragedy is that I thought I knew God's every next move. And a lot of what I predicted did happen. And just as I was planning our future wedding after one date, it all ended in a huge crash and God just shut it down. And what a blessing that was. It needed to end. I almost lost one of my beloved sponsees because I was so out of touch. So I thought I knew the design. But the outcome is not up to me. It's up to him. And God had a different lesson to show me. God showed me that I need another fellowship to support my work in LA, that I must practice these principles in all of my affairs. If I do not practice them in all of my affairs, I will not be living in his design. So what do I need to do to live in his design today? Well, I choose to let go, to accept, to recognize when I'm resisting, to ask myself, where are the miracles in my life? And for me, a miracle is anything that's powered by God. It can be the timing of traffic on the road that gets me to where I need to go on time, or maybe it gets me to where I need to go in God's time. Um, It can be the smiles of a beautiful young bride and groom. It can be running at a pace I've never ran before. It can be a beautiful butterfly visiting me. It can be a person who comes into my life that changes my life forever. It can simply be loving myself like I never have before because I now know that I'm beautiful inside and out. And I choose to be grateful and I choose to slow down and pause my decisions and bring God into them. I choose to pray and meditate. And I choose to practice this program every day or I will not be useful to God. And I need to keep God as close as possible. Today, he's my best friend. Because his love and my willingness to do the work, my life has gone from self-centered to God-centered. And ironically, I'm feeling more fulfilled than I ever have in my entire life. But I have to work it. If I do, God continues to restore me to who he created me to be. And I just have to get out of the way. His design is better than anything I could ever come up with. And when I trust, my life unfolds in ways I could never imagine. It truly keeps getting better. My practice now is not to limit what I think God can do for me. I have to practice trusting him and ask him to take my fears so that I can continue to live this amazing life that he unfolds for me every single day. So what's a challenge for me today as I work to live in God's design? Well, I have a townhouse to sell. This allows me to really practice trusting God again. I only have so much action I can take, and the rest needs to be done by God. I must practice this so I can live all of the promises, including fear of economic insecurity will leave us. I must ask God to bring people into my home and that my home is perfect for them. But that's all I can do today. I gratefully have a showing scheduled at the conclusion of this program today, and the only thing I have control over is whether my carpet is vacuumed, my bathrooms are clean, and my bed is made. Today, only God knows the perfect buyer, and I have to trust that he is simply arranging the pieces to bring that buyer into my home. It's difficult, but it's worth the work. It's worth trusting because I know everything's going to be okay. 
Now, just because I have done the steps and I call myself recovered does not mean that this is easy street. The term recovered does not equate to finish line. Just because I went through the steps does not mean I'm done, that I have all the answers and my life is perfect. It just means I am not in a hopeless state of mind and body. My mind is clear today so that I can manage my life and all the things that crop up. God is my commander. It's a privilege to live in his design and his grace. I'm human, which means I'm imperfect. But this program allows us to practice every day. And as long as I'm willing to practice, God is willing to lead the way. So perhaps ask yourself, are you willing to practice one day at a time? Are you willing to take the chance that you may change and actually change for the better? Now, I can only share my experience, strength, and hope. And today we talked about one of the ultimate promises in the big book, God Consciousness. I made a strong case for living a life of freedom and love. So here's my pitch to any newcomers on the line and those of you who are struggling, who are thinking about change. If you are still debating on whether to put the food down and start the steps, and you identified with some of the resistant responses I outlined earlier, know there is a better way to live. The spiritual toolkit is right at your feet. And when you pick it up, your personal higher power is waiting for you. He already loves you and wants you to be happy. So get a sponsor today if you do not have one. Or if you are not working the program you want, change the method or get a new sponsor. It's so important. Go through your food today. Identify your allergies. If you think you have already identified them and you're working the steps and you're still getting back into the food, there are most likely things in your food plan that are hiding. Work with a nutritionist or a sponsor to find them. We cannot work these steps and rock it into the fourth dimension if we do not have entire abstinence. It's all out there for you today, right now. You can begin living a life that you never dreamed of. And I'll leave you with this. Working the steps leads to a spiritual awakening, which brings us closer to God. When we are willing to change, we leave resistance and embrace acceptance. And through acceptance, we can leave self. And when we leave self, we begin to experience God consciousness. And when we're connected in this way to God's voice and direction, we will be living in God's design. Leah, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak today. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Becca, for this beautiful and thorough presentation of the 12-step process. Thank you for sharing your fascinating insights and experience with us. We appreciate your service. Becca's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And we're going to now transition into questions. If you have a question for Becca, press star 1 to unmute. Hi, it's Naomi B. Could I ask a question, please, Leah? Of course, Naomi. Hold on one second. Not a problem. Matt. Matt. Okay, who else? Carol G. Carol G. Mary A. Mary A. Okay, anyone else in this group? Okay, let's start with Naomi. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for your service. Uh, Becca, you are the best. 
but I do have a question, dear. My question to you is, what was that first reading that you mentioned at the bottom of page, I forget what, about um, uh, it's not commonly known? It was in your first, maybe first or second paragraph that you were talking about. Sure. Um, Nam, great to hear your voice. Um, Great great to hear you. So, um, yes, it's page 85. And so if we look at pages, excuse me, so 84 through 88 are our steps 10 and 11. Um, The end of step 9, you know, we hear the ninth step promises and the 10th step promises, and people are more familiar with those. A lot of times they're read in meetings. But right after the promises and the typical promises, I'll call them, um, end at uh, page 85, we usually end with that's how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition, and that's at the end of that first paragraph. If you go down one paragraph and then the next paragraph, it starts with much has already been said. And, you know, I I heard someone in a meeting one time talk about that God consciousness um, as a concept of being a promise. And we know that there are many promises in this book, like the one I mentioned too, it works, it really does. That's a, I consider that a promise, but it's not one that people will, will typically read. So I, maybe I'm stretching here, but I do believe that God consciousness is a promise. Um, and that paragraph right there that I read at the bottom of 85 is where it's described. Thank you, Becca. And I know that I'll be praying for you with this uh, condo situation. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. Love you. Bye. Thanks, Thank you. Naomi. Matt, you're up. Matt M. Thank you, Life Fair Service. Uh, Becca, thank you so much for your wonderful share. It really helped me a lot get rid of that um, resistance to my higher power that I've been having for so long. Um, I hope someone can text me your phone number at the end because I don't think I can stay all the way until until 10 o'clock. So one of my fellows will do that hopefully for me. Anyway, my question is like, um, I'm going through a lot of period of transition right now and it's getting very overwhelming. I'm doing my fourth step and just getting started on it is, it's simple, but it's like, it's, I'm having a little resistance to it. I got all these resentments that I want to start writing down. It's just me. I have to make the time for it, but I'm also multi addicted and I'm having, I'm also going to other fellowship meetings and I'm like getting overwhelmed. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. What do you do when, when, because you said other issues will come up for you. What do you do when you, when all that, that sentence like so overwhelming and I want to do so many things at once and um, how do you handle that, that, that scrabbling in your head that like the mice running around inside the walls? Um, hi, Matt. Um, great to hear you. Um, I, well, as far as, um, I won't talk about this too long because we're focused on OA here, but if you do have secondary um, addictions, you know, I think it's important to work the different angles, um, you know, to do the steps in the different um, in the different fellowships. But I do believe that you should probably only be working the steps in one at a time. So learning tools in the other or maintaining other ones, having a strong sponsor in each one, but choosing maybe your most prominent and just going with that, that will cut down a lot of the um, overwhelming feelings and the confusion around it. Um, so as far as your fourth step, I just want to say, um, yeah, it can feel really overwhelming. The way that I do a fourth step is, <clears throat> excuse me, I follow the big book instructions. And I say this to people sometimes. It's kind of like opening your closet. And instead of like writing every detail, like the polka dots here and the stripes here and there's some pants here and everything, like it can be really overwhelming. You just simply take one thing at a time. Okay, this shirt is short-sleeved. It's tan. These pants are pleated and they're brown. These pair of shoes are black. 
And, and that inventory, like when you discuss this in your fifth step with your sponsor, you don't have to in your fourth step write down, you know in your head what, what you're talking about. So if you just write down a little bullet point to remind you what you want to describe in step five, it's, step four is literally just like bullet points when you're doing the inventory. You know, I'm, I'm mad at mom because, you know, didn't protect me or, um, you know, didn't, didn't um, negotiate for child support, you know, whatever it was, right? That's, those are small bullet points so you can reduce that. But the most important part when you're doing step four is to invite God in at the beginning of your session. And like you said, I have to find the time. It's not just finding the time, okay, I have a half an hour between going to the gym and going to, you know, my class. It's, it's really carving out that time, getting centered, bringing God in, praying and meditating before you do it. And, and, and trust me, it will just flow out onto the page. It's all about preparing yourself to just put that pen to the paper and let it flow out on the page. He will do it for you. So practicing that trust that he will do it for you, you can kind of push away all of that stuff like, oh, when am I going to get it done? How am I going to get it done? It's so overwhelming. All of that can go away. That's your practice. Your practice is trusting in God and saying, okay, God, when you're ready for me to do this, you will give me the time. You will help me make the time and you will be there with me and you'll just have it pour out onto the page. So so that confusion that you're experiencing, it's, it's part of this process. Someday that will be clear for you. Your head will be more clear. Um, for now, it's the practice of giving as much as you can to God and not sitting in that, what am I going to do? How, you know, how am I going to do this? It's like just when those feelings come into your head, just say thanks for sharing and say, God, please take them. And hopefully that will add to the clarity and it will become a little more manageable for you. Of course, make sure that your food is clean and be working with your sponsor, be reading the big book, listen to A Vision for You, go to face-to-face meetings. It can all be done, believe me. I don't know how I do everything in my life that I do, but if you rely on God, he will allow you to do everything that you need to do to recover. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. Carol G., your turn. Oh, well, thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. Um, thank you, Becca. That was wonderful. What a wonderful share. I heard so much deep belief in your higher power. It was awesome. Um, so I'm working with quite a few people at the moment who are having a very different experience to, to the way in which you described your recovery. So, for example, one lost her partner recently. A couple of weeks ago, one lost the sale of her house. And then a couple of days ago, another girl almost lost her life in an accident. What would be your approach to sponsees or questions around this kind of thing around God when it doesn't really look like the hand of God at the moment that's that's very loving, um, that kind of thing? So when people are having bad things happening in their life, how would you approach your sponsees and how can I help them? Thank you. Thanks, Carol. So it's... It's difficult, right? Like we can lose faith in God, especially when we're expecting something to happen and it doesn't happen that way, or, or especially when we have tragic things happen in our life, the loss, of, the loss of a life or something significant like, you know, losing the sale of the house. The best thing, and this might be hard for them to understand, but that's your job as a sponsor is to, you know, the job of a sponsor is, you know, you have, if you have your two fists, you know, you've got one 
over here that's the sponsee and then your other fist over here is God. And I believe that a sponsor is simply meant to bring that sponsee and God together and join hands and then they're, you know, even joining in prayer and now they're bonded, right? So that's that's our job. So when you when you face something like this, which they're, you know, they may be down, um, they may have lost all faith, it, it's our job to kind of have them see a different perspective. So what I might do is say, you know, we don't always know why good or bad things happen. You know, God is in control of everything, but sometimes we need to have you know, it, it can't all be good. We would never know what good feels like or great or amazing feels like if we didn't have the balance of, you know, bad or uncomfortable or something like that. So sometimes these big things need to happen in order for something better to happen. So for relying on God for, for everything, God God sees all pieces that we cannot see. And and not to say it's like a chess game, but in a way it's like these puzzle pieces. And sometimes he needs to, um, sometimes he needs to shift something this way in order for something better to happen this way. And so if you help them understand that perspective, it softens things a little bit. And of course you'll have to be there for them while they're dealing with the loss or something like that. Um, but if you can if you can get them back on track, seeing that you know, we just put our reliance in God that there must be a reason why this tragic thing happened or, you know, this this thing that we weren't expecting happened, there's, I guarantee you that God still has a plan. He loves all of us and there's a reason for why why that happened in order for something to open up and something better to happen. So however you want to frame that to your sponsees, that's the kind of perspective that I would suggest you kind of lead them to, um, and that will help restore their faith. The other thing um, that I talk about a lot is recognizing miracles. That's one way that we can instantly connect ourselves to God, and I outlined some of them in my talk today, and they can be very simple, like a butterfly coming to visit, right? So if you can have them, maybe an active exercise you could do, if they're not doing a grateful list every day and they're not doing a proud list every day, I have my aunties do 10 grateful or more or five proud or more it helps restore their connection to higher power it's essentially working step 11 Um, and I have them work 10 11 and 12 at all phases I know some people say work them in order but you know it's I believe that 10 11 and 12 is the foundation always of our life so I have them working that from the beginning so you know, if you're having them write down the grateful and the prouds, and then you also ask them to write down the miracles or how they're living in God's design, it takes their focus away from the tragedy all the time and puts them in the present and allows them to begin connecting to God in a small way that you will build and build by working the steps in the big book and doing other things that you do with them. So I hope that's helpful, Carol. Thank you very much, Carol, for the question. Mary A., your turn. I, did you say Mary? Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Mary. I'm sorry. I was muting. No so problem. I figured you'd said to me, hi, Becca. Thank you so much for your share, um, Living God's Design. My question is completely different. Um, I wanted to just ask you, um, because you uh, talked about your life so openly, 
I feel I can ask any questions, and I'm very, very curious. Um, you said you lived with a man for five years, and my question is, did you really think that that was God's will because you talked about God's design? And there's no question uh, God helped you in so many of the areas. Um, you know, in my own family, um, I struggled with my poor daughter who lived also for five years with a man that absolutely wouldn't make a commitment. And um, it's when she realized um, for herself that she got out of it. And today she is married to this man. Um, horrible things happened that led them back to each other, and they're really best friends. So I just was curious what steps you might have worked while you were living with this man, and did you think that was God's will for you, his perfect will? Thank you. Thanks, Mary, for the question. Um, so it was completely his will, completely in so many ways. And so before I met him, I was with someone who hated my body absolutely hated my body and that was so hard for me and I stayed with that person for four years too and so um, you know I was sneaking food on the side I was binging I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger when I was with that other person and so when I finally broke that off and I was with uh, my most recent ex-boyfriend he did not care about my body in the sense that he he had no issues with it and so I had the freedom finally to lose the weight for myself. And as we know, we come in, we're looking to lose the weight. And for me, it turned into this, you know, amazing relationship with God and everything. But, you know, when I first came in, it was about losing the weight. And so he did not say anything about the food I was putting in my mouth. And I'm sure it was difficult for him when he saw me binging right in front of him. Um, you know, he didn't really disclose his emotions or feelings to me ever. So I really have no idea how he felt about it. But um, I finally could lose the weight for myself and I wasn't losing it for anyone else. And that was such a blessing. And, and really what happened was because of the steps, I worked all of the steps. I was, I, I was with him and then I got up to the 255 pounds because I ate to be on that TV show and I just couldn't even get out of bed. I was like trying to thrust myself out of bed. I mean, it was horrible. So I found OA and so I worked all of the steps while he was in my life. But what happened was I grew so much in this program that I just grew right past him. And I talked to him about it along the way. You know, I said, I, I'm, I'm changing and I'd like you to... I'd like you to change with me in your own respect and, you know, acknowledge that things are different and, help, you know, let's, let's adjust together. And he wasn't willing to do any of that. So one day I woke up and it was like I realized just how far apart we were. And so I had to come to terms with that. And for a while I struggled because he was such a foundation for me and so many things were great in our relationship. It was like I couldn't point to anything that's wrong, you know. There's a difference between present negatives and absent positives. When there's present negative, you can point to it and say that person's abusing me or, you know, that person put me down or something like that. But when there are absent positives, you really just don't know how much better it can be. So it's like if you have a compatible relationship and you work well together and you're good roommates and all that kind of stuff, it's just like it's hard to say I need to get out of this relationship. But the growth that I did was just so apparent that that I knew it needed to happen. I knew I needed to move on. So um, that's kind of what happened. But, you know, it was God's will definitely. I needed someone stable 
and that left me alone in order to do these steps and and he was that person for me so i don't feel like i used him you know we we had great time together but um he served a purpose in my life at that time and and now that's over and that's okay i got a question and your name thank you mary a for your question your name I'm Sandy, and I have a question. Yeah, hi, Sandy. Hold on one second. Let me see if anybody else has a question as well. Anyone else with a question this morning for Becca after Sandy? Star one to unmute. Jody E. Jody. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Sandy, your turn. Okay, this is like the second time ever that I've ever talked because I get so nervous, so I'll see how I do putting my thoughts together because that was very encouraging about um, speaking up that she mentioned. Um, Is it okay to ask you this? Can you go over, and maybe you did and I missed it because I was taking notes because this was an excellent um, meeting here, Uh, a little bit of a timeline of your struggle to get abstinent and your spiritual experience. How long did it last? How many relapses did you have? Um, How many years are you talking about? I know that you mentioned the uh, isolation and uh, the weight gain, but... Maybe I missed it, but I didn't hear much detail about the spiritual experience and uh, uh, how am I doing here? Am I repeating my? Am I being redundant? You're doing, you are great, doing great. great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating. But do you kind of did I ask I a question or not? <laughs> you did. You did. I okay, get it. good. Okay, good. Thanks. You got it. Okay, that's good. Okay, I passed. Go ahead. Thanks, Sandy. Um, so. Uh, you know, when I was in the food before I knew OA, you know, I've been a compulsive overeater since I can remember, five, six, seven, um, sneaking food, hiding food, thinking all about food. So I, I, for me, I'm clearly a compulsive overeater. So when I came into OA, what happened was um, I treated it like another diet program, but I didn't know I was doing that. You know, I came in and uh, I had just taken a nutrition class, 40 hours worth of nutrition. It was all about organic eating. And so I sort of had my own food plan coming in because I reduced my food plan down to simply real foods. So no processed foods, no fast foods, nothing with a label. Um, It was literally like, you know, meats, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and healthy oil. Um, Sometimes beans and legumes if I felt like it. But that's what was working for me because it seemed that everything else I had an allergy to. Everything else would put me back into the food. So when I came in, I sort of had my own uh, food plan. And, uh, you know, I saw the steps on the wall, but I didn't think they were for me. You know, I had been in therapy since I was two years old. I had a tragic thing happen to me when I was um, a baby. And my mom, you know, was a progressive hippie type, and she put me right into therapy. So um, literally, I, you know, I came in when I was uh, like 33 to OA, and I'm 35 now. So I came in when I was 33. So, you know, for 31 years, I'd been in therapy. and, And I... I saw the steps on the wall, but I, I just, I was like, you know, I, I know a lot about myself. And I know, I don't, 
maybe that was a little bit of ego, but I just simply didn't get it. Like I didn't get the program yet. So I was just doing my food plan and I was treating it like a diet and I didn't realize that I was, you know, the fellowship was amazing. I felt like, oh, I'm doing this OA thing. And one day I crashed and burned and I got back into the food. And I think that was a Friday. And then the next morning I came in and I admitted what I did. And someone came up to me afterwards and uh, they, you know, I heard it like this. Why don't you try working the steps? And I'm sure she was like, Rebecca, you know, the steps might be a good idea. But, you know, I heard it that way. And, um, and, but I listened to her and I got a sponsor. I didn't have a sponsor up until then. So I got a sponsor. And um, that sponsor, I, I picked her because she had such peace and serenity. And I had such a terrible anger problem. And so I learned a lot from her, and I got to step six, but then someone told me about a vision for you. And I always say to people, do you listen to a vision for you? And they're like, no, I don't know what that is. I was like, it's the primary reason why I'm recovered today. And that's the truth. You know, I started listening every single day, listening to other recovered compulsive overeaters. I knew nothing about the doctor's opinion. Someone started talking about that. I listened to a special edition back in 2012, and it was like a hammer that hit me over the head. Oh, I finally get it. And once I started getting this um, program, you know, I I had switched my sponsor to a big book sponsor. I started back at one because we have to. We start on, you know, the title page where, by the way, it says the word recovered right on the title page. And I went through the book, um, you know, with my sponsor. And so through that experience, I believe that I had my true spiritual awakening in step four and five, in steps four and five, because I had 600 resentments. I had 80 fears, and I had over 100 sexual conducts. And uh, getting all of that up and out and sharing that, you know, that, that blockage that I talk about was completely lifted, and then it was just doing the rest of the steps. But that's where I really connected with God. And it's just been this progressive, um, you know, connection over time. And I have to say, when I started sponsoring, that is when everything kicked into a new level. It's so important to sponsor and it's so important to give back in this program. And when I do that kind of service, that's when God is most present in my life. And I mentioned step five. That is like, that's the height of my program. Maybe it's just, maybe that's my special gift. I don't know. But when God flows through me during step five, I am no closer to God when when I'm with a sponsor doing that step. So it, it happened over time. It was gradual, um, but it was most profound when I was doing four and five. And now it's just all about the maintenance. You know, it didn't it didn't really take me that long. I came in in August 2013. Um, in January 2014, I lost my absence for that one day. And so my new abstinence date is uh, either the 26th or 27th of January. Um, 2014, and I recovered in August 2014. So it really just took me a year to kind of feel a way out, find my way, and do the work to get to the point of recovery. And now it's all about just maintaining this this beautiful connection that I have. I hope that answered the question. Hi, this is Jody. Can you hear me? Hi, Jody. Hello? Go ahead. Yes, go ahead, Jody, with your question. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much, Becca. Wow. In such a short period of time, you, you have come so far. What an amazing testament to the 12 steps. Thank you. 
You've been so clear, it's hard to come up with a question that you haven't already answered. But my question is about sponsorship and how you sponsor. Um, it sounds like you spend a lot of time with your sponsees. It sounds too like you're face-to-face -face with them when you are hearing their footstep, perhaps, and that you go over each and every person, each and every resentment, each and every item on these lists. Is that true? Do you, um, it sounds like it would take hours and hours and hours. And if it was a telephone uh, relationship as opposed to face-to-face, -face, how do you manage that? Such a long process of going through each resentment, each sex conduct, etc. And do you go through those with a fine-tooth comb? Also, when it comes to the ninth step, do you also go through that list with a fine-tooth comb? Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Um, okay, so the way that I sponsor is I use the big book. And I probably use 85 to 90% of the big book exactly. And then there is like 10 or 15% um, that God has just shown me over time that I use to supplement, um, to supplement the big book. And so I have customized certain ways um, that I do the steps that I have found um, have been very effective, and I truly believe that they have come from God. So when I start someone on the big book, we start on the title page, um, you know, and I, and I go through the forwards and everything, and then we get into Bill's story. And the way that I sponsor is, you know, we'll read a paragraph or two like we do um, on A Vision for You, but I really try to, at the beginning, especially in Bill's story, connect them to Bill's story. So I ask a lot of questions. I say, you know, do you, do you see where he's going here? Or, you know, what's most profound for you right here? Or what is, what's the concept that he's talking about? How does this relate to your compulsive overeating? So I ask a lot of questions, making sure that they are like aligning directly and getting, you know, pulled right in to that, um, to them identifying with Bill right away, you know, and, and so, and I should say before all this, I actually, before all this, I do a thorough food inventory with them before we even start. And um, I ask them to write down all of their foods in three different categories. I use red, yellow, and green. So red is completely out of control. Yellow is, you know, I'm not sure. And green is, this is what I believe I'm abstinent with. And so I have them write down all their foods in the last year, and then I have them research them. They need to tell me, is there sugar, white flour, wheat, protein, um, carbs? Like they, they need to tell me everything that's in there, looking up the nutrition labels and, um, and, and uh, the ingredients, so the nutrition and ingredients. And they, they mostly do all that online, looking up, looking everything up online. So we go through that, and I take two hours. Sometimes one person, it took four hours, but I go through every single line item, and we talk about every single food, and we, we make decisions on what we believe they may be allergic to. Um, we also talk about their behaviors, and we come up with solutions for how to avoid those behaviors or change those behaviors. So once they get all of that down and we get their food list, then I talk to them about, you know, options that they have in their food to make sure they have variety. And I start food sponsoring them, and they need to send me the night before everything that they're going to eat that next day. And we talk if they're going to go to a restaurant, they have to look up beforehand in the menu or even call the chef and talk to the chef. Or if they're going to an event, they might need to bring their food to the event, whatever they need to do to protect their abstinence. 
and we talk about the Dr. Mimian. Then in Bill's story, as I mentioned, I have them identify right in. Then we have three, three and a half chapters on step two where we're connecting with God. And I, one exercise that I find is really effective is I have them write bullet points of the things that they need from God, what God looks like to them, who they want to be. Um, and I have them write these bullet points. And then I have them write a personalized prayer for every single bullet point. And they use those personalized prayers when they wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, throughout their day when they need them. And that, that I find, helps connect them to their personal higher power almost right away. So, again, through all those chapters, you know, I'm, I'm asking them questions, making sure they're identifying in. And then, you know, we get into, we get to step three, and it's simply a decision, and I make an assessment whether they're ready to move on into four or not, because they have to have a certain connection with God in three in order to do the rest of the steps. And so when they get to four, it's a simple inventory. And yes, some people, you know, some people have uh, 20 resentments, and some people have 200 resentments. So the person who has 20 resentments, you know, I, if it's in person, they come to my house and we book two or three hours at a time and we go through each resentment. And the way that I do resentments, and this is where that 10, 15% comes in, and people have, um, you know, challenged me on this before, but, you know, this is, this is why we have OA. You know, OA, we get to pick and choose. Everybody's different. Everybody sponsors a different way. But the way that I do a resentment is I have them invite God in, we go over the sick man prayer for the, let's say it's a person they're talking about. We say the sick man prayer for them. I ask them where they're selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, inconsiderate, um, and fearful. And when we, um, when we get to the end of that, I ask them, you know, do you see any character assets or defects coming out of this? Do you see that you'll have to make an amends for this, yes or no? Um, and they make, a, they make an indication, they write down their character defects on a list separately, and then I say, what would God want for you today? And, they, and that puts them into the present. And by this time, we've talked through, you know, the selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, fearful, and inconsiderate, and they have transformed within talking about this. They're admitting their side. So when they get to, you know, what does God want from me now, they're forward-thinking. They're in the present. It's, they're, they have a completely new attitude about the entire resentment. And then I ask them to pray for the person. And we do that. And I also use this for my step 10 as well. Like when, when a sponsee calls me for step 10, this is the method that I use. And so we do this for every single resentment. Fears I process slightly different way, sex conduct, and other harms, you know. But, yes, I go through every single one. So someone who has 20, that might take two months or less. But someone who has 200, you know, I had one sponsee who had about 200, and that took a six months, I think. But she is on fire. This girl is on fire, and her connection with God is amazing. And as I said before, my simple, um, my simple job is to take the sponsee and take God and help them get together, get close so that they are completely married and that I, I might not even need to exist anymore. Of course, they can call me and, you know, we'll still be working on things. But my job is to, make, is to help make that connection as strong as possible. So for me, it's worth the time. And my sponsees, this is, look, again, it's not a finish line. We're not trying to race to something. This whole entire process, they are growing, they are changing. We're taking the time for that to settle in so it doesn't hit them and a secondary addiction doesn't come up out of nowhere. It's like 
we take our time to go through this process. And then six and seven, we're looking at the character defects and we give them away. Eight, our list is already done because when we were doing five, I asked them if they had any amends to make. So that list is already done. Nine, uh, really 8.5, we talk about, you know, what, let's break these into little, medium, and large. And let's talk about how you're going to do every single one of these before you execute them. And they can start on the little ones while we're still discussing the medium and the hard and, and kind of get a feel for it. But as we know, we, we, we're not God. So there might be some amends that need to wait a few years to, to be done, but at least we've talked about how they could be done. And so then we get into 10, 11, and 12. And they've been doing 10, 11, and 12 from the beginning because I've been giving them page 84 through 88 and they've been doing a daily inventory based on 86 the whole time, it just kind of looks a little bit different now that they're recovered after going through seven. So then we talk about sponsorship and how they can sponsor. We talk about service and what they're willing to commit to with service and giving back in the program. And then we just, you know, really what we talk about is how they can get closer to God. So, yes, at the beginning, you know, I give, I had 11 sponsees, and then I just recently went down to seven. And um, I, you know, a lot of them are close to recovery or already in recovery. So it just looks a little bit different. I have three people on five right now, which is, which is a lot because each one of them gets about, you know, four to six hours a week with me. Um, God is fitting that in. I don't know, I don't know how I do it, but it's, it's happening and I'm, I'm managing it. But um, once I get them through five, I'll have a little more time for myself, and I'm not taking new sponsees on right now. It wouldn't be fair to them or me. So, yes, and if it's virtual, to answer your question, you know, I have some sponsees that are in Maine and Delaware and Massachusetts. Um, I use FaceTime or Skype. I need to see them when doing step five. It cannot be over the phone. It either needs to be some kind of technology or in person. I have to see their eyes. I have to see their body language. I have to connect with them. So as long as they have that technology, um, that's, that's how we do it. So I hope that answered the question. That was kind of a, it was a very fast, even though it was long, it was a very fast uh, sort of run through of, of how I sponsor. But thanks for the question, Jody. Yes, thank you, Jody, for the question. I also want to thank Sandy H. for your question. Um, previously, so thank you. All right, well, we have time for perhaps two more questions. If anyone would like to pose a question. Yes, this is Elida, favorite in Dallas. Elida, okay, anyone else? One more question. This is Norma. I'd like to ask a question. Hi, Norma, okay. All right, terrific. Elida, go ahead. Thank you so much, and thank you for your service. <clears throat> My question is about uh, meditation. I have a really hard time sitting down for three minutes and, you know, get my mind to meditate. So I would appreciate any uh, insight you have on that. Thank you. Um, thanks, Alita. Yeah, so if you're just beginning meditation, one thing that I find, if I can't get my mind to focus, um, one simple thing that you could try and start with is um, some kind of mantra. Um, you know, something like, I love you, God. Thank you for loving me. I love you, God. Thank you for loving me. I love you, God. Thank you for loving me. And visualizing, 
you know, whatever you want to visualize, like, you know, um, blockages leaving you, um, tension leaving you. But if you're not able to clear your mind, which is really hard, you know, we, we talk about meditation, we're like, okay, clear your mind, you know, don't think about anything, don't think about that pink elephant. And it's like, how can I not think about that pink elephant? But it's like, I find if you kind of do a reverse, and it's, it's about that connection with God. So, so maybe try the opposite and just picking like one small mantra that's rhythmic, that you can kind of just like lock into this rhythmic groove and let the, you know, let that, like there's different levels of your mind, you know, there's like when I'm swimming, for instance, right? When I swim, I'm conscious of like not hitting the lane markers, right? I'm conscious of people um, coming into the room. So that's one level, right? Another level is I'm counting my laps. So as I'm doing my strokes, like one, 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 I get to the wall, two, 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 and I'm counting those lengths. And then there's this third level of thinking where God is just like saying, you know that creative project, Rebecca, you're working on? How about this? Or how about we do that? My mind splits into three different levels. So if you can kind of pick something that's the equivalent of counting those lanes, like I said, you know, I love you, God, thank you for loving me. And you can kind of, if no one else is in the room with you, if you're in somewhere quiet, you don't have to be aware of those people coming into the pool, like I said, you know, that level will be that level will be low or quieted so that then the God conscious thinking can stream right in. So that's, I mean, there are many different ways to meditate, but maybe try that with just, with just the mantra, focusing on the mantra and visualize yourself being closer to God, having him take the things that are worrying you or blocking you. And, um, and then that, that practice will shift for you. Someday it might shift into your mind being clear and you're able to just be present with God. Um, but there's no harm in, in just starting with that mantra and seeing where that takes you. Hope, hope that's helpful. Thanks, Alita, for the question. And now, Norma. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Becca, for a really great, thorough, and intellectual presentation. I enjoyed it so much. My question is, one, is the um, speaker meeting here being recorded? And number two, um since you're not taking any sponsees, what about your sponsees taking sponsees? Thank you. Thanks, Norma. Um, I'll answer for you, Leah. Yes, it's being recorded, and it will be um, uploaded to the website within a few days. Um, so you can find that under the Special Editions tab in 2015. I hope I did that right, Leah. Um, so, um, if, yes, I'm not taking sponsees right now, um, but I have a few sponsees who are recovered um, and who do sponsor themselves. I have three people on five, so soon they will be up for sponsoring. Um, I actually do, you know, I've built my community um, in OA, and I do know a lot of people who check in with me and say, hey, I have an opening, do you have someone? And I have a lot of people calling me saying, I need a sponsor, um, I'm completely deflated and I'm willing to listen to whatever they say. And I, I don't try to play God, but I do try to do my best to kind of match people. But I, I say, you know, I, I check with the sponsor who's available and I say, I have someone, are you willing to talk to them? 
and they either say yes or no, and then I go back to that person who's looking and I say, they may have an opening, why don't you try it? And, and their job is to kind of interview them, each other, you know, make mm-hmm. sure that it's a match because you don't want to just like jump in right away with someone because you might find yourself on step four and being like, this doesn't feel right. So it's very important to make sure that you feel it's a match right away. But I just try to do my best. You know, I, I do have information that comes to me about available sponsors, even on this line um, that are that are taken down during the different meetings. And then I just know people in my area um, that that have gone through the steps using the big book. And I don't Maybe this is, uh, I don't mean to be snobby, but I don't match anyone who hasn't, who doesn't use the big book to recover. Because for me, um, that's why I am recovered the way I am today. So I, I only place people with big book sponsors. Um, but but right now, my sponsees don't have any openings. They're either full or they are, um, or they're on uh, they're doing the steps themselves, and I don't let my sponsees uh, sponsor until they've gotten through 12 and we've discussed how to sponsor. For me, it's it's like that's their time in the cocoon. They need to focus on themselves and make sure that their connection with God is really strong and they understand how to work the steps before they can give it away. You know, it says we obviously cannot transmit something we haven't got on page 164. My interpretation of that is we need to be recovered and have an understanding of this program and have a method of sponsorship that we are able to convey to someone else. So, um, you know, I can, I can, if you're looking for someone, I can, I can try to help you. Um, every once in a while, someone pops up and says, I have an opening, and I do my best to try to place people. But it's up to them to do the interviewing and, and see if they're a match. I hope that's helpful, Norma. Thanks so much. Thank you, Norma, and thanks, everybody, who asked a question this morning. And, of course, thank you, Becca, for your time and sharing your experience and your strength and hope with us this morning and offering us that very beautiful, thorough presentation of the 12-step process. We thank you for your Thanks so much, Leah. Really appreciate it. Generous spirit. All right. Well, we're going to close in the way we always close here, and that's from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.